I think it's become my mantra of late. I have a couple of them, but we're just not thinking. We are not thinking as people, as Americans, as human beings, we're just not thinking. Whether you're talking about COVID-19 or politics or anything else, it's like we have this giant switch in our head that just says... Do whatever my echo chamber tells me to do and move on without ever considering COVID-19 is, I, I don't know, we've gone red. Our county has gone red. What does that mean? Well, functionally for us, it means I can't even take Ben to the park anymore because the risk to my wife is our livelihood. My wife gets COVID. My wife works for the Department of the Navy. If my wife gets COVID from a red area, <laughs> theoretically anyway, she uh, she has to quarantine for two weeks. And if it's caused by negligence, i.e. exposing yourself, uh, she doesn't get paid, which could be a problem for us. If, she, if it's not negligent, then everything's fine. She just quarantines for two weeks and on we go. But I keep saying this, if, if COVID, if the, if the coronavirus really is what we're being told that it is over and over again, then we're doing everything wrong. Whether it's Bill Mick's story of going to Burger King yesterday or my own story of going to KFC Taco Bell yesterday, we're doing everything wrong. Cammy was complaining because we went to the, the KFC COVID, KFC COVID, KFC Taco Bell. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it is. Who knows? At any rate, the the staff was wearing gloves, right? Because that's what they do. They wear gloves. Well, they didn't change the gloves between each customer. And she's a nurse, of course, so she's going on and on about how we change nurse, we change gloves all the time. I said, yeah, but the customer's not paying for those. The insurance is or the military is or whatever. They have some sort of block. There's no way that KFC can afford to buy enough gloves for everybody to change it after every customer. I'm not paying $50 for a taco because that's what it would cost to recoup that cost. She's like, yeah, I guess so. At any rate, <laughs> if if the coronavirus really is what we're told it is, we're doing everything wrong, which is causing people to not think about things. We're just reacting. We're just... We're just taking things at their word. And I'm not saying that it is dangerous or isn't dangerous. That's not even what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, if it is what we're being told it is, we're doing everything wrong. And maybe we should think about that. It's just something to think about. I'm not saying, you know, go forth and do. What I'm saying is, every time we ask the question, why... We get shut down. We get yelled at. We get criticized. We get told, why do you want people to die? I don't want people to die. I wanted to flatten the curve. We flatten the curve. Here we are. I don't know, man. We are not thinking. Another example of this not thinking thing came about on Friday, I believe it was. I took Ben to the park for the last time. It was pretty remarkable. 
in this park, there was a church service going on. There was not a mask in sight. There were easily two to 300 people in the park, and, and it's not that big of a park. You can Google it on your map, Silverdale Waterfront Park, and I, maybe, maybe three, four people were masked. Beyond that, no. They were singing and, you know, praising and all that kind of stuff, and all the kids were running around screaming and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, these people aren't worried about anything. I mean, I'm not really either, but at the same time, I got to protect my my uh, my families. You know, we got to we got to take care of what we are, and that's part of the problem, isn't it? They threatened our livelihood, and so they've compelled our behavior by threatening our livelihood. That doesn't seem right to me. Anyway. On Friday, I'd taken Ben to the park, but I was doing some reading, and, and as I was doing the reading, and, and I've I've said this before, I tend to read things that disagree with me. The term echo chamber is a relatively recent development, but it's been around for a long time. I, I told you this back 20 years ago on the air. I get along better with people that I disagree with, certainly politically, than with people I don't disagree with. Um... I know where they're coming from. I, they challenge my thought processes. And so I was reading a book uh, by a guy who's clearly not a conservative by any stretch of the imagination. And he had a chapter on originalism. Now, I have long considered myself an originalist, although I define it differently than some other people do. And the reason I, I, I feel that way is because you have to go back to the original. You have to stand by the original document. It doesn't mean you have to interpret it necessarily the same way. But you can't just throw it out. You can't just go, oh, we don't like that anymore, so we're going to go with this over here. No. you gotta you got to work out a way to make it work within the original intention, the original idea of the, of the Constitution. That said, this guy is challenging my beliefs in originalism, he's he's giving me examples of where originalism falls down. One of, one of which is that the idea, the, the generally accepted idea of originalism, <clears throat> is that the framers were all homogenous in their beliefs. And I've told you this many times. That's simply not true. Madison wanted a national government. He wanted to do away with the states. Hamilton was in a similar position. Others did not. Uh, Luther Martin, we've talked at, at great length about the differences between these guys and the fact that the, the miracle of the Constitution is that it's a giant compromise. Okay? It, and I've said that. His, but he's not wrong that most originalists do tend to believe in this homogenous idea that everything, you know, you go to a Tea Party meeting, we want the values of the framers. <laughs> I mean, they used to have that printed on a banner where I went. Really? Which framer do you want? Because not all the framers believed in the same things you say they did. At any rate, the point being that he's challenging me on some originalist thoughts and ideas, and particularly its application. And I enjoy that. I really do. And in the middle of all this reading about originalism and why he thinks that there are some problems with it, which I appreciate that there are problems. There are problems with every interpretive model of the Constitution. I get that. But for me, originalism comes the closest to what I actually believe. Much like my faith, my religious faith, 
I had to find a belief system that matched what I believed rather than trying to wedge myself into something that I didn't necessarily believe. But we had a family tradition of it. I was raised in it. I went to seminary for it. And so I just sort of uh, put my questions in the back of my mind and went to the echo chamber and went, yay, this is what I believe. Except that it wasn't. It wasn't being honest with myself. And it led to a lot of problems. Now, when it comes to constitutionalism, I am an originalist. I don't agree that we all believe, this guy says we all, all originalists believe that they were homogenous. I, I don't believe that. I've certainly not said that. I define it somewhat differently than he does, but I see where he's driving at the problem. And this is where we get into the news story that broke on Friday, which of course was the Tsarnaev ruling. Now, for those of you who may not have heard this, a three-judge panel of the appeals court in Boston overturned the death sentence for, is it Jokar? Jokar Tsarnaev, the Boston bomber. They overturned this, and to watch the conservative echo chamber to go on social media, which is how I first heard about it, by the way, because I don't read emails in the park, um, you would have thought that this was the, I, I don't know, this was the worst ruling in the history of the Supreme Court. Uh, even though, well, it wasn't Supreme Court, but the worst ruling in the, in the history of the federal courts. Outrage was the, was the order of the day in the conservative echo chamber. Outrage that Tsarnaev would be spared his life for his heinous crimes, or should we say infamous crimes. I get it. I get the anger. I get the frustration. I have felt some of that myself. I have no particular love for or regard for the Tsarnaev brothers. One of them rotting in hell already. The other on death row, well, not anymore, in the federal pen. But I think we have to take a step back here and think about some things, don't we? Particularly if we are, as we say, believers, supporters, defenders, upholders of the Constitution of the United States. Now, if we want to set that Constitution aside and just do whatever the hell we want to do, because we can, that's a different story. Take him out back and shoot him. Maybe that's too good for him, hang him, electrocute, whatever. But that Constitution thing keeps getting in the way of that, doesn't it? If we really believe, if the Constitution really is what we say it is, then we did everything wrong. There were three judges on this panel. I'm not going to give you the whole history of the three judges, just that you know that there are three judges, and that this was a 3-0 vote. All three judges agreed that the death sentence needed to be turned over. I guarantee you that nobody who posted about this on the weekend, nobody who posted anything on this week, this overturning of the sentence, and that includes, by the way, the President of the United States, bothered to take the time to read the 230-some-odd page ruling. Yeah, I have it right here. You can, you can look it up yourself. I mean, I'll, I'll link it up if you want. I guess it's 224 pages. 224 page ruling about the Tsarnaev sentence and why it needed to be overturned. The death sentence. 
There were three judges. Two of the judges, to no surprise of anybody in the conservative echo chamber, are Obama appointees. Two of them are liberal Democrats, right? I mean, that's what we assume. A judge appointed by a a Democrat president must be a liberal. One of them, however, was not appointed by Obama, was not appointed by a Democrat. He is, in fact, appointed by Ronald Reagan. And he took the time to write a concurring opinion. So in other words, the other two judges, Thompson wrote the opinion. Cayetta agreed with him. And Torella, Tor, Toruella, sorry, I don't want to mispronounce his name, um, took the time to not only concur, he, he dissented in part, but he concurred for the most part. And he took the time to write an opinion as to why he concurred. Why He, he disagreed in some ways, but he agreed that the sentence was problematic. The sentence of death pronounced against Joe Karsenev was problematic. He's a Republican judge appointed by Ronald Reagan. How many of you honestly knew that? He, by the way, is the judge that's being quoted in all the papers. His, his concurring opinion is the one that's actually being quoted virtually every article I've read about this. It's not, it's not Thompson's, except for the part where they overturn it. But it's, it's Toruella's that's being quoted because he points out some things that are some reasons here. And rather than simply reacting, rather than simply going, this is horrible that this, that this guy should be allowed to, to not have a death penalty. This death penalty should be overturned. This is just activist courtisms. This is whatever. The President of the United States, quote, rarely has anyone, anybody, deserved the death penalty more than the Boston bomber, Jokard Zarnayev. The court agreed that this was, quote, one of the worst domestic terrorist attacks since the 9-11 atrocities, unquote. Yet the appellate court tossed out the death sentence. So many lives lost, unquote. The president of the United States tweeted that. The, then he goes on to say, the federal government must again seek the death penalty in a do-over of that chapter of the original court trial. Our country cannot let the appellate decision stand. Also, it is ridiculous that this process is taking so long which, again, is, is echoed by so many people. So many people agree with this that in, in our echo chamber that it makes me wonder sometimes, have we ever read the damn Fifth Amendment for ourselves? Have you? You can't deprive a person of life without due process. You cannot do that. And we are talking about the federal court here. The federal's... The feds tried this case. The feds put this on. The feds, and just in case you you were concerned about, well, maybe it's a state case, Dave. The Fourteenth Amendment makes it clear that neither can the state do this. They didn't even have to incorporate the Fifth Amendment's due process clause because the Fourteenth Amendment did it for them. Hey, states, feds, you cannot deprive someone of life or limb without due process. Well, Dave, due process happened. He got a trial. He admitted that he did it. Yeah, I get all that. But what is due process? Due process is the idea that the government cannot just snap its fingers and declare whatever the sentence might be or the, or the, the guilt or innocence might be. They have to actually, I don't know, prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt to a jury of, of 12 citizens. 
right? Oh, Dave, Jokar Zarnayev's not a citizen. Uh, it doesn't matter. He's under our jurisdiction. He's entitled to due process. How many of you, on trial for your life, would be satisfied with a jury on which at least two members had posted on social media that you should die for your crime? Regardless of whatever that crime might be. I don't, you know, doesn't matter what it is, but people posting on social media is one thing. But when two of those people who post, at least two of those people who posted that or something similar to that end up on your jury, how likely is it that you're going to get due process? How likely is it that you're going to get a fair hearing? You might be guilty. But is our case so weak against the Sarnayev brothers that we can put people on the jury who commented publicly about their views of the case prior to the trial? Duh. That's not what the Fifth Amendment, which we who support and defend the Constitution of the United States, say we believe, is it? The trial should not have been held in Boston. There's a great deal of legal analysis in the whole 224 pages of, <laughs> dude, they asked you to move the trial out of Boston. There was too much publicity. For God's sakes, Tor Toruella points out, you had the Boston Red Sox making noise about this case in a public forum. There was too much publicity. There was too much pretrial publicity. It's possible that there was nowhere you could go that could get this guy a fair hearing. It's possible. But at the same time, it should have been tried. There should have been some consideration to that, and simply rejecting it out of hand was not due process. It was not fair to the defendant. Again, I don't want to live in a country where we penalize defendants and give the advantages to the prosecution, to the state. That's exactly what our justice system is supposed to not be about. It's not supposed to do that. And yet, somehow or another, everybody, every conservative from the president on down, well, he's not a conservative, but every Republican from the president on down is screaming and yelling about, oh, he should be fried. Without due process, you don't have a fair trial. I don't really give a at what the jury said. I really don't. Without due process, you do not have a fair trial. Jokar Zarnayev admitted he did the crime, and all three of the judges acknowledge that. There is no question of his guilt. They say that in the ruling. There is no question of guilt. But when you put at least two jurors on the jury to consider the sentence, at least two, it's possible that there were more who have made public statements that the defendant is not going to get a fair hearing from them, in what way, shape, or form does that meet the criteria of the 5th and the 14th Amendments? Come on, originalists, come on. Tell me how that meets due process. Because I'm telling you, as sure as the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, if that was you sitting in the dock, you would not think that it did. And you would, you would argue and cry and whine and throw a fit and scream and yell and appeal because it's not fair. It's not what our justice system is supposed to be.
Should Jokar Tsarnaev be executed? Probably. But I'll be honest with you. If we can't do it the right way, if we can't do what our Constitution, what we believe our Constitution and our laws support doing, within those constraints, within those, within those frameworks, then guess what? We can say what the Constitution is, but we're doing everything wrong if we do. And if we on the conservative side are doing everything wrong, constitutionally speaking, what, what complaint do we have about the other side doing everything wrong? We either have due process or we don't. And believe me, if they can end due process for Mr. Zarnayev, <laughs> they can end it for you.